0: All right. So as we're going through Genesis and Exodus and the Bible, about rethinking the Bible, um, the Bible, all of the Bible basically is stories. There's a lot of different stories in the Bible, and then there's one big story that's woven throughout the entire Bible. So as we see today, a lot of times in these stories in the Bible, as we're going through them one by one, a lot of common themes repeat themselves. So I want you guys to think about today as we're going through the last part of Genesis into Exodus, some of the things that you hear more than once. Some of the common themes that repeat themselves, some of the common phrasing, because if it's said more than once in the Bible, there's a reason for that. It's probably very important, it's probably something we're supposed to remember, and it's probably something that's going to come back later on. So these stories, every great story, has a part in the story where everything's going pretty well, and then there's a conflict. Something bad happens. You know the enemy comes into play, whatever whatever it may be, and then from there, one or two things typically happens. Either it all goes you know to hell in a handbasket, as they say, and everything goes downhill real quick, or they rise above the conflicts and the people become even more successful afterwards. Think of like a romance movie. You look at like Hallmark movies. Uh, Hallmark movies are a classic about this. Pretty much in every Hallmark movie, you have uh, a boy and a girl and the first part of the movie they build up, and they get to know each other, things are going well, and then they have this big climax moment where all of a sudden they come together, and you think, oh, everything's gonna be great. But then some disaster happens, and you know, they find out that he's moving tomorrow, or you know she's taking, uh, her job fell through, or her parents passed away, some kind of crazy thing in these movies always happens. And then by the end of the movie, they end up rising above and they get back together and they rekindle their love and they kiss and it begins, you know. And so uh, I want you guys to kind of think about the story today at the end of Genesis as we, as we progress through Exodus. You know, what, what went well? What's the big conflict? What's that part of the story where things need to go really bad or they have to overcome and things go good again? And how do people respond? So as we start here in, in Genesis, if you have any of your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 47. Uh, like I said, we're just gonna cover the last three chapters and then roll into Exodus. And I want to read you guys all something in Genesis 47. This is about Jacob. And if you remember, Jacob was also called Israel. So if you if you hear the word Israel, it wasn't the country necessarily, it was the person. He called him, like God called him Israel. But his name is also Jacob. It, it, yeah, it's it a cool transition. Jacob, it says Jacob lived in Egypt. 17 years and the years of his life were 147 so he lived a long time when the time drew near for israel to die so again it uses both words there both names he called for his son joseph and said to him if i have found favor in your eyes put your hand under my thigh and promise you will show me kindness and faithfulness this was a a thing they did back then it's not weird this is a tradition they did it 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 was a a sign of like a covenant and a promise um and Jacob says, do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. And so then in Genesis 47, Joseph replies, I will do as you say. So Jacob's telling Joseph, I do think of my life. I realize I'm about to die. Uh, things will come to an end for me. And so here's my last instructions to you before I leave this earth. So number one, he tells him where he wants to be buried, okay? So that's a a big detail, but not something like just groundbreaking. But I want you guys to hear what he says next, or what he tells Joseph to do as he leaves. So Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me and was in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. Okay, keep that in mind. Jacob says that God told him, He's going to make him fruitful and increase his number. If you go back to Genesis, we hear that multiple times. And then he says, I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you." And, and so um, Joseph has two sons, okay, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he's about to give a very important note and like a basically a, um, a prophecy about what's gonna to happen to Joseph's sons. So, back then, Jacob, um, he, was, he was close to God. Uh, God would speak to him and show him how things were gonna go and show him visions, uh, uh, and so he actually tells Joseph, I want you to be aware, I'm about to pass away, but here's what's about to happen to between your two sons. So you might remember Jacob, what happened with his brother. You might remember that story back then? The yeah, the birthright. Yeah, so remember, he basically stole his brother's birthright, and because of that, he ended up taking power and possession of the land, but really it should have been his brother. So, again, this same kind of theme is about to repeat itself, which is interesting to hear Jacob now tell Joseph, his son, hey, it's about to happen all over again. And he says here, and this is in uh, uh, Genesis 48, The younger is greater than the old, just like before. So again, just like before. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand and moved from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. But Joseph said to him, No, my my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great." nevertheless his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations so he blessed them that day and said in your name will israel pronounce his blessing may god make you like ephraim and manessa so he put ephraim ahead of manessa then jacob gives instructions on what will happen and what to do as he passes what do you guys think about as you go forward here you know the same kind of theme Happened with Jacob in his life, and it was not right with Jacob did to take his birthright and take possession and take power. But um, Jacob tells Joseph, hey, this is about to happen with your kids as well. Think about your family. How, you know, a lot of things probably repeat themselves. If you think about your grandparents and your great grandparents, a lot of common principles and habits kind of get carried down, you know, from one generation to the next. And some of those bad habits die hard, okay? And now this is not necessarily saying that this is a bad thing. The younger can be older or better than the, than the older. What want you guys to think about that in this family lineage, how these common patterns keep repeating themselves uh, and how this common theme plays out. And, uh, and Jacob says here, when Joseph, oh, I'm sorry. So Jacob gives instructions on what will happen next. After that, Joseph's like, okay, you know, tell I, weird that's going to happen, but okay, we're good now what you hear to hear what joseph says to his brothers You remember what joseph's brothers did to him in genesis yeah put him in the hole sold him you know did it play out good at first for joseph no it was pretty bad he got put in the pit in prison you know he, he it was a pretty terrible situation for years and years and now in that score that was a big conflict joseph rose above that and stayed faithful to god stayed true to him and now is one of the most powerful leaders in all of Egypt. So now Jacob said, and now remember he he said, I'm gonna forgive my brothers. I'm not gonna harm you guys. I'm gonna bless you. But now Jacob's about to die. So his brother's saying, okay, well now that dad's about to die, Joseph's gonna say, okay, screw that promise. I'm gonna kill you guys and make you slaves and serve me. And I'm gonna get you back for all you did for me. So his brothers are kind of freaking out right now. um, Because Jacob's telling, you know, Joseph, hey, I'm about to die. And, and his brothers were hearing this as well. So, this is what happens. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So, they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. So, he basically is, is lying here. They're lying to him, which they've done many times. Again, the pattern kind of continues here. And it says, this is what you're going to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sin of your servants, of the God of your father. Now I want you guys to think about this. So, they make this message up, basically, and they're like, hey, we're going to tell Joseph that Jacob actually told us, you know, hey, forgive all those things we did in the past and, and bless us. And Joseph's going to look at that and be like, okay, cool. You know, I'll follow what my dad said. But Joseph realizes, okay, this is This is not right. But instead of taking an out on them, I want you to hear Joseph's response to this. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So that's how Genesis basically ends. So I want you guys to think about that. The story of Genesis is a crazy story, all kinds of tops and turns. And Joseph had every right, from a human perspective, to get back at his brothers and say, hey, you guys did all these wrongs to me. I'm gonna pay the favor back to you. And even lie to him again right here. But instead, Joseph says, you know what? You know, I forgive you guys. You know, what you meant for harm, God has used us now to, to bless many people. You know, I've saved a lot of people through what God's done through me because of the famine and storing up the goods. And I'm still going to bless you guys continuously. And there's a great message in there for our lives today about forgiveness. Even family members are going are to harm us from time to time. They're going to say things that are mean. They're going to do things to us that aren't right. And it can be very difficult to forgive them and even look at them. But if you learn anything from the story of Genesis, it's that no matter what somebody's done to you, if the Spirit of God lives inside of you, God forgave you for all the things you've done wrong. And he's given you the power of the Spirit to also forgive them. Because if you hold a grudge against somebody, it doesn't just hurt that person, it also hurts you. You know, it's because that anger and that resentment and that hostility that's built up inside of you, it's going to make your life a mess. It's going to hurt you. it's going to really affect you even more than it affects them. So I think if you're going to learn anything from the end of Genesis, too, let those things go. Learn to forgive people. Learn to be kind. It said Joseph spoke kindly to them. And when you do that, it has the power to not only heal you from the hurt they caused you, but to also change their lives as well. His brothers, I'm sure, were changed forever because of what Joseph said to them. And they lived a different life because of that. And so um, we conclude Genesis and we move into Exodus. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Exodus one or write down, write down Exodus one six through seven. Okay, I want you guys to write down Exodus one six through seven. And this is going to be a very interesting little chapter. We're going to talk in here. So Exodus one starts off like this in verses six through seven. It says, "And Joseph died." So. Hmm. Really fast forward there pretty quickly. Um, so Joseph's life is now over. So now we're moving on from Joseph and Jacob, and the new reign kind of comes in. Again, we're kind of getting to a new story. And it says, All his brothers and all that generation died as well. But the children of Israel, catch this, were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Why is that important that Exodus starts off that way? Why do you think that's important? Because he's showing the blessings. Yeah, he's showing the blessings, and he's showing that all these promises that happened in Genesis come true. You know, think about that. God promises Jacob that I'm going to bless you. Again, we talked about it earlier. I'm going to multiply you make you a great nation. Jacob then, and through God, promises Joseph Your descendants will be blessed. You're going to be a father of many nations. And then, in Exodus, it says, what happened to Israelites? They grew and became a multitude of people. So I think about that. That's kind of cool to think about. And it's an important point why God puts it in there. and He repeats it all through Genesis because he wants you to know that even though it took a while for them to see this happen, his promise was true. And in our lives today, sometimes God will promise us certain things and say, you know, Aaron, I'm going to make you something great. Or, you know, Caleb, um, I have a great plan for your life. We don't see it right away. We're like, God, why is it not happening tomorrow? You know, why am I not getting that promotion tomorrow? Or why am I not in the place I want to be at right now? You know, why are you waiting so long? But well, sometimes there's a, there's a purpose and a reason for that. And God wants you to see if you're going to remain faithful in the waiting. And when you, when you don't see him moving, when you don't see those promises come true, are you still going to trust him? Are you still going to have faith in him? Because when you do in those moments, eventually the story is going to turn around, and God's going to use all these things that happen to you, all these bad times, for His glory. And He is going to put you in that position of power that He promised you. He's going to give you you know that plan that He promised you, and that's going to come true, and He's going to fulfill that. So I want you guys to think about that today. That sometimes God may be slow. To fulfill those promises in our eyes, but when it does get fulfilled, it's in his perfect timing, and then really great things happen. Think about all the people that have heard these stories that God's going to bless them for generations and generations, and then all of a sudden, they see it happen. They're like, wow, you know, God kept his promise for all these generations. If it would have happened right away, it may not have been a big deal to the people as much. But because it took generations, all these people witnessed this promise happen and fulfilled it. And it inspired the people and, and to give their lives more to God and to trust Him. But sometimes there's a reason why God doesn't give do you what, what you want or what He promises right away. There's a purpose in the waiting. And so remain faithful and true. And as we, can, as we grow here, um, you know, this new story takes place in Exodus. And if we ended there, it'd be like, all right, great story. You know, all these terrible things happened in Genesis, but it ended on a good note. People are blessed and multiplied and we can close the book and we're good to go. Well that doesn't happen. You know, just like any good story, a conflict's kind of happen, And there's a really bad conflict that happens right off the bat in, in Exodus. And if you have your Bible, if you have your notebooks, write down verses 8 through 10 is the conflict. Verses 8 through 10 is when things go sour. And it says this right here. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt. So remember, Pharaoh respected Joseph. And he respected his God because he knew that God was with him and he could interpret dreams. And so while Pharaoh was alive, the Israelites and Joseph were were blessed. But now there's a new king in town. And this new king, he's not all about this anymore. And it says here, it says, he did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us. So go about out the land. So he looks around and says, hey, there's a big old population of Israelites, and if something happens and war breaks out, if they don't join alongside us, we may get overtaken. So he starts getting kind of jealous and freaking out, and so he's like, we got to do something about this. So instead of being nice to the Israelites and, you know, uh, kind like Pharaoh was, he's about to do something totally opposite and try to get rid of as many as possible so he can have his people in power. So again, this mindset of I'm the one in charge, it's my way or the highway, I want my people to be the best in power, and not looking at God's way, it always leads to disaster. This is what's going to happen here. I want you to catch how people react what the king is about to say. So if you look past here in verse 11, the king says, therefore they set taskmakers over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply chains, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in water, in brick, in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shafarah, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife, now catch this. When you do the duties of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them on their birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him right away. And just not right when he's born, you know, phew, son's gone. But the midwives feared God. Now think about it, There's an important point there. The midwives didn't fear the king. If they didn't obey the king, what was going to happen to them? They feared God. And they said, our allegiance is to God. We're not going to do this. This is not right. And whatever happens to us happens, we're going to trust in God. Here's how this plays out. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt with with the midwives and the people multiplied even more and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, he provided households for them. So what I want to conclude with today is that if we fear God more than, more than politics, more than those that are in authority over us, then we're going to obey Him above anything else. And when we do, although the world may be rude to us, and you're about to see the king's about to go over on a tangent here, because this is going to infuriate Him. When we do that, God blesses us. Even if it's not in a position of, oh, we're going to be in power, God bless the midwives. The people continue to multiply. They continue to grow. They continue to see God's blessings. Why? Because they stayed faithful and true to him. And all throughout the Old Testament, we're going to see this theme carried on. When the Israelites followed God and obeyed him, he blessed them. Even if it wasn't how they wanted, he blessed them. But as soon as they turned away from God and started following the king instead or out worshiping or whatever else, things went sour in a heartbeat. And I want you guys to catch something here. The whole land took notice of this. The whole land took notice that these women aren't killing their sons, they're not giving them up, they're obeying God, but yet they have this love, this joy, this peace about them, and it was infectious. And all of a sudden, that that religion started to grow amongst the people. So what you guys think about your life today, you can't help that people are gonna uh, persecute you, they're gonna say mean things to you, because if somebody's not a Christian, they're gonna be jealous of your life. They're gonna be jealous of the love that you have, of the peace that you have, the joy that you have, because if they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them, they're gonna be lacking that area. They may be wealthier, they may have more possessions, they may have more fame, but something's gonna be missing that you have. And so naturally, that jealousy, in the most extreme form, takes place in the king wanting to kill the people. But in everyday society, people get jealous and they call you out on Facebook, they kick fights for you at school. They say mean things to you. Why? Because they want you to react the same way the world would. Because if we react the same way the world would, they can say, okay, well, Christians are no better than us. And uh, see, see Sarah acted that way or see Gracie acted that way. See, they're no better than we are. And they can feel better about the way they're living their lives and what they're missing. It's an extreme form of jealousy and insecurity that they have about their own lives. And God, and Jesus even says, this is going to happen. He says, people are going to persecute you. But he says, the way you react matters. If you don't react how the world does, and you react like Joseph does with kindness, forgiveness, with love and compassion, and that's the same way Jesus reacted, all of a sudden, the world can't help but stop and take notice. Say something's different about Aaron. Something's different about Wyatt. And maybe maybe I should look at my own life and say, something's wrong here. You know, I point the finger back at myself and say, I'm the problem, not, not them. And then hopefully it has the power to point them to Christ, which will change their life for all eternity. So as we go through Exodus, we're going to have a lot of crazy stories. I want you guys to keep that with you today as you go through school this week. When somebody does something mean to you and hurts you, think about how you're going to react. The way you react, is it Christ like, or is it how the rest of the world would? If we react the way Christ would, how Joseph did, how the dead did, or how the women did of Israel, I'm sorry, then people are going to notice that. They can't help but notice that. And they're going to be intrigued by the way we live our lives. And we can point them to Christ through that. And that's you start to change the culture around you. Let me pray for it and we'll discuss. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this, for your word here in, in Genesis, the last part, and in Exodus. Y'all I to ask that we go through our week. When things don't go right, when people are mean to us, when people persecute us and say things that they shouldn't, ask that we don't respond the way the world would. We respond and we stay obedient to you, faithful to you, we stay kind and compassionate and loving, and through that, we're able to change the world for you. We're able to point people back to you and truly shine a light in this darkness. In your glorious name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to discuss here, Um, so we'll start with Aaron.